0: let's just pray Lord as we come to this passage now we ask that you would touch our hearts open our minds give us understanding Lord impress your word to us help us as we consider it and Lord speak that we may hear in Jesus name Amen The title of the sermon in the series, We Shall Overcome, is We Have Victory in Christ Jesus. That is the theme of the whole of Revelation. The theme of chapter 12 has been described as almost a summary of the whole of the book. We have victory in Christ Jesus. We shall overcome. What's the connection with the world outside today? What's the connection between Revelation 12 and the world that we live in each day? There is a very direct connection. The connection is that we live in a world where there is evil. And Satan, the devil, is the author of evil. He's the father of lies and the creator of all destruction and death. He introduced it into the world. And people are unwittingly at times following him. We're just slaves to sin. And he stirs up. He wants to destroy and kill. And what we see in the world, if you look at the news, you see, apart from some of the good news stories, which we're not seeing enough of, but there's so many stories of death, of destruction, of evil, of sin, of people hurting other people people killing other people we struggle with people saying things and doing things against each other sometimes not so big but at other times we see evil in its ugliness there's human trafficking there's there's rape there's murder there's so many different things And we see evil in the world around us, and we wonder, where did it come from? Revelation 12 tells us. How are we struggling? How are we going to cope? Well, the Bible tells us that we need to trust in Jesus, and Revelation 12 tells us that we have victory in Him. And yet, there seems to be so much evil, but despite that, there is so much grace. It is limited. There's so much good in the world. God's grace is so abundant to us. If evil were unrestrained, we would not recognize this world. We see much good. We have so much grace from God. His mercies are new each day. So we see evil abundantly, but it's restrained at the same time. And that's what we see in Revelation 12 as well. And as God's people, we, we struggle with the battle against sin, the battle against the devil and his demons, spiritual warfare, spiritual battle, and that's what we see in Revelation chapter 12 as well. So this is very much to say to us about real life. This isn't just about what's going to happen in the future. This is about what has been happening before Christ was born and since he is born. So as we come to Revelation chapter 12, we see that this is the start of another section in Revelation. We've seen the letters to the seven churches, seven churches listed in chapters 1 to 3. Then after the vision of the throne and the Lamb, we see that there are seven seals, chapters 6 to 8. Then seven trumpets, chapters... the second half of chapter 8 to 11. And now we see... Another series of sevens, seven signs over the next few chapters. While all of the previous sections have been concerned with the fate of the people of God in a hostile world, these seven signs across chapters 12 to 13, even 12 to 14, describe the conflict between the devil or evil in the world and God's people. And the Saviour Himself. While the previous chapters have been describing the hostility against God, now these chapters are describing the church in its dealings with the enemy. And the stories that we read here are symbolic, describing the struggle of God's people. It uses symbolism or allegory. If you're a reader, you'll probably know, or maybe even have read, C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And that uses marvellous imagery of the powerful Aslan, the lion who was battling against the evil witch who called herself the Queen of Narnia. And Aslan rescued all the people who were her prisoners She tries to kill the four children who had gone through a magical wardrobe um, into this other world. But in order to rescue them and the other prisoners, a death needs to be made as a ransom for these prisoners. And the witch is delighted, the evil witch is delighted when Aslan offers himself as a ransom. And she and her horde of evil followers are delighted that the powerful Aslan is dead. Her arch-enemy is dead. But in a twist of the plot that no one foresaw, he rises again to life, and along with the children and and those who have been freed, they battle against the evil witch and her followers, and they overcome them. They overcome evil. And that's a rough outline of the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. But... Long before we had the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, we had a similar story in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12 is not something to be scared about. Nothing, not something to, to approach with, with fear and, and trepidation. In 12 and 13, we have the Bible's own story of an imaginary dragon, its angels along with its beasts and the angels fighting against them and the woman who gives birth, the male child. And this is telling the story of the devil and his demons against God's people from whom come the Messiah himself. And then the battle between the devil and his demons and God's people still continues. But in the end, he is thoroughly defeated. That's what Revelation chapter 12 and 13 are telling us. So it's like a the Bible's version of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Let's not read too much into it, but let's just get the basic message. Let's not allegorize too many things In order to understand this story, let's first look at the characters, the characters that we see here in, in this story. Firstly, we see the woman who represents God's people. In order of appearance, the woman comes first. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, and the sun and the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labour pains and the agony of giving birth. This woman represents God's people. Here, the woman represents the Old Testament people of God who grew into the nation of Israel. Joseph's dreams that he had were of the, the moon and the sun and 12 stars representing Abraham's grandson Israel, his wife and, the, and his 12 sons. The nation of Israel, in a metaphorical sense, gave birth to the Messiah. The woman in labour pains is the nation of Israel waiting for the birth of the Messiah. The promised Messiah was going to come from from Israel. The Messiah did not come from some other nation, but came through the lineage, through the promise of God to the people of Israel, the Israelites. The whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the whole sacrificial system pointed forward. It was an illustration of the one true sacrifice for sin, which was Jesus' death on the cross. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament was a visual aid for people to help them understand the concept of blood has to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Those sacrifices did not forgive sins in themselves, but they pointed forward, and when people placed their faith in the sacrifice God presented to them, even though all they could see was the altar and an animal. Their faith in God's sacrifice was ultimately faith in Christ. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, and in a a sense he fulfilled in himself the threefold ministries that the Israelites had. Of They were led by the prophets, the priests, and the king. And Jesus is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. So, in a sense, the nation of Israel and its ministries gave birth to the Messiah. In the Old Testament, God's people have been described metaphorically as a woman, such as in Isaiah 66, verse 7, or Micah 4, verse 10. And God's people are described as a bride later on in Revelation, the bride of Christ. If you know Genesis 3, you'll know that as well as the curse, the promise was given that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. A descendant of the woman, a descendant of humanity, which we know later was through the people of Israel. Jesus Christ overcome, overcame Satan. This woman doesn't represent Mary, the mother of Jesus. Although in her role as part of God's people, she had a very significant role in being the physical mother of the physical man, Jesus. She was part of God's people and together with the people of God, and she gave birth physically but they all gave birth together metaphorically to the Messiah next we see the red dragon the devil, Satan himself then I witnessed in heaven another significant event I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his heads. his heads. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. In the Old Testament, Pharaoh is described as a sea dragon from which the fleeing Israelites needed rescue. For example, in Ezekiel 29, verse 3, we read that, and... The defeat of the dragon in the sea is promised in Isaiah 27, verse 1. And when the story is repeated from a different perspective, we're told this great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. We're therefore left in no doubt as to who this dragon is, this red dragon. We're explicitly told that he is the devil, Satan. One commentator, Beale, helpfully summarizes this character throughout Revelation. He says that chapters 12 to 22 tell the same story as chapters one till 11 but explain in greater detail what the first chapters only introduce and imply. Chapter 12 now reveals that the devil himself is the deeper source of evil. Brief references to him have already come in chapter 2, verse 13, chapter 6, verse 8, and 9, verse 11. The devil is a grand initiator of the trials and persecutions of the saints. He unleashes the beast and the false prophet, the harlot, Babylon is also his servant John pictures the four figures, the devil, the beast the false prophet and the harlot rising in this order and then meeting their demise in the reverse order in chapters 12 to 20 in order to highlight the devil as the initiator from first to last of all resistance to God and his people in this respect the introduction of of the the red dragon here, of the devil here in chapter twelve, can be seen as introducing the second half of the book. He concludes. We struggle with evil. It's a reality in our lives. But ultimately, we're struggling against the devil himself. The next we see is the male child, Jesus. This is Jesus, the Messiah, or the Christ, to use the Greek word. God's people are described as a, as a damsel in distress, in a sense, and the devil is a villain and uh, represented as a red dragon. But then we see the hero, the knight in shining armor, which is Jesus. Christ the Messiah the male child is introduced she gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne Jesus is introduced as the male child the God man and John in his gospel tells us so the word became human and made his home among us He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus is the Son of God, born of woman, born of humanity. Later in Revelation chapter 12, we have reference to the male child again by the saving work and power of Jesus as God's Saviour. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Salvation has come at last because of Christ. And shortly later we read of him described as the Lamb in whom there is victory over the devil and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. In verse 5 we see that the Messiah the Christ was destined to rule the nations with an iron rod he's introduced as a saviour who will have authority over all the earth he will conquer the dragon the devil the word used to translate rule here is a the, the connotation of shepherding not a harsh rule, not lording it over people, not tyranny And the iron scepter conveys firmness but gentleness with grace as well. As Morris helpfully points out in his commentary. Jesus' rule is compassionate. He is the good shepherd. He isn't a tyrant. He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavily and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He is gentle, he is humble. His yoke is easy to bear. He's not a hard taskmaster. We also see supporting characters. As in any narrative, any story, we see the main characters and then the supporting characters. Here we have, in verse 7, we read of Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, as well as other angels who were on the dragon's side. In verse 4 we read that the dragon swept by his tail a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Well, it has to be metaphorical because the earth is so much smaller than any stars. So this is speaking about angels who followed Satan, who followed the devil whether it's literally a third or just that's representative of a significant but not a majority number. We don't know, but he has many demons that that do his work. And they were eventually cast down to earth after rebelling in heaven. It's difficult to know. We're not given much insight as to what happened in heaven There's just a couple of passages here in the Bible like this. This is probably the most extensive that tell us about how there happened to be demons, fallen angels. We're not given much insight or explanation as to how this came about, when the timing of it was, and so on. But we are given here enough to know that Satan rebelled and a significant number of angels followed him. But they were defeated and they are now on the earth. This earth is described, the world is described in the Bible as a a sinful world because this is where the devil roams. This is where he does his work. He's been cast out of heaven. He's now here. And this world is a place where we suffer so much sin and injustice and pain because that's where he is doing his worst. So we've got the characters, the woman, the red dragon, the saviour and the supporting characters. Now we have the story the story is summarized first in verses four to six before going on to be in and again in more detail later on in the chapter. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. As a summary of church history of Old and New Testament, that is remarkably concise. But that's what it is. The devil has tried to kill Jesus. He's tried to kill the ancestors of Jesus to stop him being born. And he continues to try and kill and subvert those who are wanting to turn to Jesus and those who have turned to Jesus think back to the male babies born to the Israelites being slaughtered in Egypt by Pharaoh there's too many of them, let's kill their their babies that was the devil trying to kill off the Israelites that was the devil's vain attempt to stop the Messiah being born but Moses' mother a courageous woman, she plans a rescue for her child And in the end, Pharaoh, who had planned to kill God's people, ended up bringing up in his own household, his own daughter brought up, adopted the baby Moses. No matter what the devil tries to do, the Lord overcomes and and gains victory over that. At the birth of Jesus, which is the closest incident to what is described here we see that Herod was so upset that there might be another king that would challenge his authority that he got well he wanted the wise men to to bring back word as to who and where is the baby but they were warned by an angel to to not go back to him and so they didn't but then Herod in his fury wanted to kill all the babies just wipe them all out That wasn't just Herod doing that. That was the devil behind that. Wanting to wipe out the Messiah just after he had been born, which is what Revelation 12 is describing to us. But Joseph, in a dream, had an angel tell him to flee. And so he was on the run. He went to Egypt. And the devil's plans don't stop there. He tried, we know he tried to kill Jesus and he thought he had overcome him and defeated him on the cross. Just like in the lion and the witch in the wardrobe, they thought that Aslan has been defeated. Well, they were rejoicing. So the devil must have been rejoicing when Jesus died on the cross. But little did he know, just like Aslan, the story of Aslan tells us the story of Jesus who rose again from the dead. Death was defeated. The devil was defeated. Sin was atoned for. We have victory in Jesus. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days those 42 months, those time, times, and half a time that we've been reading about in the the last chapter as well. The devil is chasing after the woman, the church, we're told, in verses 13 to 17. The devil is described as the accuser of God's people, but we have victory over him in Christ Jesus. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, "'It has come at last, salvation and power "'in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, "'for the accuser of our brothers and sisters "'has been thrown down to earth, "'the one who accuses them before our God day and night, "'and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb "'and by their testimony. "'And they did not love their lives so much "'that they were afraid to die.'" God provides protection for his people. That's what's pictured here. Jesus was taken up into heaven. He lived. He atoned for our sins. He died. He was resurrected, and yet he was ascended as well. That's what's pictured here in Revelation chapter 12. Meanwhile, realizing that he's been defeated, that his plan hasn't worked, The devil is furious and the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. (coughs) All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. The devil is out. He's like a raging bull. He's, He's just angry. He's just lashing out. He's against church, he's against us, he's against each one of us, he's against us together not primarily because of us but because of Christ Jesus says if they persecuted me we can expect no different and when people are persecuting us it's really getting at Jesus through us it's the devil getting at Jesus through us Peter tells us stay alert watch out for your great enemy the devil he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and Paul reminds us a final word be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil we sometimes miss that or don't give it enough significance spiritual warfare is against all the strategies of the devil he goes on he says for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies in other words it's not your neighbor it's not the other side it's not the other country it's not other people flesh and blood But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. In other words, this fight that the devil has, this evil, this lashing out, we don't see him directly. We see laws made by other people in parliaments and by governments. But evil laws are the devil's work through people in positions of power. We see people being discriminated against, people being abused, people being mistreated in so many different ways. As much as it is the work of people, it is also the work of the enemy, the devil. He uses people as pawns, To attack all that is right and good. To make people suffer and to attack God's people. He wants to kill and destroy. We're told in verse 12 that he's angry because he knows his time is short. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire soon. And he's just lashing out. But Jesus tells us, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This theme of the battle between good and evil, Christ and the devil, the church and the plans and strategies of the devil, is worked out in all of society as well people often talk and philosophers talk about the battle between good and evil but we also see it in the newspapers we see it in the TV, we see it in movies have you ever noticed how many movies there are or stories there are whether in children's books or adult films I mean films for grown-ups where there's There's those who are in distress. There's a damsel in distress. There's an evil villain and there's a knight in shining armour who comes to the rescue. We may see it as a a group of people who are rescued by a powerful liberator or a superhero. Or it might be a detective series like Sherlock Holmes who comes and battles against his nemesis, the evil Moriarty to rescue people. In so many different ways in real life we see this battle between the devil and the church or God himself being worked out. And yet we don't see it as being the devil we see it as being people doing evil. And we see those who are trying to overcome, those who are trying to bring in order and justice. And whether they're believers or not, they're doing God's work. But it is especially God's people who are bringing in not just justice, but righteousness as well. It's no surprise that this whole theme of good overcoming evil a plight, being rescued by someone who's victorious is part and parcel of everyday life. We have it so much in our movies and our stories and our books because it is so much part of our humanity. Next time you watch a film or a, a hero overcomes evil or the good guy beats up the bad guy, I don't like it when the... The good guy is just better at being violent than the bad guy. That's not how it's meant to be, but it's often portrayed like that. But good overcomes evil, often by non-violence, like Gandhi overcoming by non-violence. This whole theme of good overcoming evil is part and parcel of who we are, because we are in a world where the devil, the author of evil, is battling against us. But we have rescue. We have overcome through Christ Jesus. We have eternal salvation in him and we have the ability to overcome here and now through him. In verse 11 we're told, and they defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. It's not just Jesus who's overcome the devil, but we overcome the devil also in Christ Jesus. They've defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And just like Jesus overcame death, by dying and being resurrected again, so too our victory sometimes it comes in the, in the form of death. Sometimes the martyrs might appear to have been killed off, defeated, but their death was a victory because they did not give in. They were victorious over the temptation to deny Christ. Their testimony was faithful, their death was a victory. And we can resist the fiery arrows of the devil, the temptations that come our way. When we look at Revelation chapter 12 and think of how it affects our everyday life, there are a couple of things that we can bear in mind. First of all, we need to choose whose side we're on. If we're not on the Lord's side, we're on the devil's side, even if we don't think of ourselves being there. Jesus says, if anyone is not for me, they're against me. Nobody is sitting on the fence. That is significant. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, you're still on the enemy's side. We need to recognize that we're on one side or the other, And in the gospel, placing our faith in Jesus is defecting from the side of the enemy of Christ over to his side, trusting in him and becoming part of his people, receiving forgiveness for all our sins and having victory in him. He accepts us with open arms. He doesn't count our sin against us. He is atoned for our sin on the cross. He just calls us to come as we are and he clothes us with righteousness. He forgives our sins. We are reconciled with God in a way that we could never have imagined. We receive, because of God's grace and love for us, the gift of righteousness, the gift of eternal life in Christ. Second, let's press on. Let's keep going, let's persevere in Christ, let's win the little battles that we face, the battles against temptation, the battles against sin, because we have victory in him. We are able to overcome because of what he has done for us. There is power in the blood of Jesus that not only forgives us our sins, but in Christ, we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of holiness to walk holy lives, to produce the fruit of the Spirit. So let's be courageous. We are in a battle. Let's recognize it as a battle. We're not all in the front line all the time, but sometimes the front line comes to us wherever we happen to be. Let's be ready. This week I came across a webpage where a woman, Jen Wilkin, was giving a talk at the Gospel Coalition's 2021 conference. And her talk was titled, Female Bravery and the Mission of God. And in it, she, well, the webpage describes the talk as walking through scripture where Wilkin relates stories of women who feared God rather than men and stood against the serpent, risking their very lives. And she encourages women to, to be courageous, like Rahab in Jericho, who she gave shelter to the spies, the Israelites, at risk of death herself. She chose what side to be on. She defected to the side of God's people she was courageous and she saved not only herself but her whole family we see many others as well Naomi who rescued her mother-in-law and who ended up becoming a, an ancestor of Jesus he came from the line of she's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Moses' mother, a courageous woman. She didn't just give in to the evil that was being forced upon her people. She rescued, she came up with a plan to rescue her, her son, baby Moses. And he ended up being the saviour of the people. Who knows what our little thing that we do for the Lord, how it might end up. It might be just an individual battle that we're battling, but it might end up being something very significant. Who knows? Down through church history, outside of the Bible, we've got people like Corrie ten Boom, who rescued Jews who were being rounded up in, by the Nazis in Holland. She rescued them from death. he was courageous against evil and we too no matter what situation we are in whatever the Lord puts in front of us if we respond with courage and in the Lord's strength well as we're told in Ephesians 3 he can do immeasurably more in us and through us than we could ever ask or imagine or even think of course the same applies to men too So often in the Bible we tend to look at people like Peter and Moses who, yes, they're going in the right direction, but they they get it wrong first time. And eventually they get it right. But there's other good role models as well, like Aaron or Joseph or John or Luke, who get it right first time. Whether men or women, boys or girls... We can look to the Lord, we can be courageous, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. If you're tempted, you can overcome temptation. When you're guided by the Spirit, you can take a clear stand for the Lord and he will strengthen you in that. Don't look at what the possible outcomes might be. Look at where the right position to stand is and take what comes. We know we have victory in him. Let's turn to him for salvation. Let's walk with him as his followers. And let's draw close to him, knowing that only in him can we overcome because only in him is victory. There's a cosmic battle going on, but the enemy is defeated already. And we're just in the mopping up stages of the battle. Let's make sure we're on the right side and let's be courageous and let's be obedient and faithful to the Lord, strong in Him. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, we thank you that you are victorious. We thank you that we have victory as your people. But yet, Lord, the battle is not over we're still fighting the good fight help us Lord to persevere to the end help us to be faithful to the end and help us Lord to show others that there is a way a way of victory a way of holiness and that way is through faith in Jesus Lord forgive us for our failures Help us, Lord, to be more faithful to you. Help us to be more courageous and help us to walk more closely with you, being guided and led by you. Lord, that we may give you the glory and that we may see the victory in our lives and the lives of your people as we anticipate that final day when death and the devil are consigned to that lake of fire never to come out again. And we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.